Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Mulk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Senior Editor and Professional Fangirl at BuzzFeed Oz. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Jenna Guillaume. Hi. Now, did I say your last name right? Uh, close. It's Guillaume. Guillaume. Um, yeah. I apologise. I'm never good That's at okay. anything that comes close to accents or languages or anything. A lot of people You're get You're lucky that I speak English. <laughs> Jenna, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? I say, hi, I'm Jenna. Excellent. Yeah. Does there ever then come the conversation or question about, so what do you do, Jenna? Yeah, I, lo- I mean, most people ask that and I say I'm a writer for the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Yeah. All of the internet. <laughs> yeah, the whole internet. No, I don't usually lead with BuzzFeed just because a lot of people still don't really know what it is and a lot of the mm-hmm. time if I say, oh, I work for BuzzFeed, they're like, what's that? Um, so it's easy to contextualise it with saying it's an online publication. Sure. Yeah. What's what's your journey to BuzzFeed? How did you get to be the professional senior editor fangirl? Uh, uh, well, I studied communications at uni and did a lot of work experience uh, and did an internship while I was at uni with Girlfriend Magazine, um, actually with the website. And cool. from, yeah, from there I kind of got a job part-time while I was still at uni at Yahoo um, and then... I went on to work at Girlfriend Magazine for nearly six years in the features department there. Yeah, long time. Um, Yeah, in the features department, but I really loved it, but I kind of missed online and was kind of yearning to go back to that, which is where I got my start. And then when the job at BuzzFeed came up, I kind of jumped on it. Now, I apologise if this sounds uh, weird. I'm not a teenage girl. (laughs) So what does it mean to work for the features department of Girlfriend Magazine? Yeah, so I started out as features writer there and worked my way up to features editor. And basically, Mm. I wrote the bulk of the features in the magazine each month. So I wrote about all sorts of things like bullying and boys and periods. I, you know, I edited the sealed section, which a lot of people are really curious about and just covered any kind of topic that teen girls were interested in. I read a lot about One Direction and Twilight in my time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you find, because, and I would expect I'm uh, going to be the father of a teenage girl. She's nine. um, And I fear those days (laughs) just creeping closer. Did you find that the, the girlfriend readership were fairly vocal in their feedback in that they would write in asking for specific things or, 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 or be fairly direct in, hey, we want to know more about this or I don't understand that? They definitely were. Teenage girls aren't afraid to tell you what they think, which is really amazing, actually. But at the same time, it was interesting coming from a monthly magazine to working mm-hmm. online where that feedback did come through in magazines, but it was kind of... It was a very long process. Obviously, we worked three months ahead. So by the time that mag- magazine hit the shelf, that was months months ago that we'd worked on it. And yep. then then to get feedback through often took time as well. So it was very different to then come to an online publication where that feedback is instantaneously. You can 
immediately tell if people yeah. love or hate your work. So that's interesting and I actually love it. It's really good to get that feedback and to know what's working and what's not working as opposed to kind of just chucking stuff out there and hoping for the best. What's a story that you're most proud of during that time? At Girlfriend? Yes. Oh, I'm trying to think back now. Um, I did one of the longer features that I did that I was really proud of was one about child brides. So Mm -hmm. I interviewed a few girls who'd been in forced marriages um, and that was like a really kind of significant series of interviews for me and really affected me because these girls were so inspiring and I put a lot of my heart into the feature as well. So, yeah, I'm really proud of that. The move from Girlfriend, was that to BuzzFeed from there directly? Pretty much. I had like, I had a couple of weeks off basically and then went straight into BuzzFeed. Wow. And and look at you go now. It's amazing. <laughs> you, you all, really, all you've done is pick up uh, the audience that you had at Girlfriend as they've aged and they're now consuming their content from BuzzFeed. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that, but that's probably true. A lot of our readers are kind of women in their 20s. We we do aim to appeal to a really broad range of people, but our core audience is definitely in that demo. And the content that you, particularly the stuff that you've written <laughs> that, I, oh, that I've really enjoyed, I don't say this in, in, in a derogatory fashion, the, the stuff that you've covered has been fairly broad ranging, but also some fairly sharp pointed stuff as well. I remember there was uh, uh, a BuzzFeed article that I think you were a part of writing about um, body image and finding swimsuits. And there was another one about um, you and a couple of other writers got all like the whole makeup shebang thing done and, and like finding a look. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we've done a few things like that. And I think the one you're referring to was we tried to find uh, bikini tops and we kind of went out and explored and tried them on. Yeah, we've done a bit of that. And definitely, I guess, with BuzzFeed, the main thing we do is kind of write about what interests us essentially and what we're talking about because we know if we're talking about it, then that's kind of what other people are going to be interested in, you know, if there's Mm. that kind of – I don't know, shared shared passion for the topic. So that was something where it's kind of like something that a few of us kind of struggled with. So we were like, why not look into it and go, go try some, try some bikini tops on, see how hard it actually is to find a good fitting one. And I was so nervous about it, but I was actually very pleasantly surprised with the outcome and people really identified the process, what the process that we went through. I I can imagine. I sound like the creepiest old man ever. (laughs) Um, but I, I, and I say that as a guy, um, not the creepy bit, but that I enjoyed it because I look, I'm a, a very, very morbidly obese dude. Um, so finding clothes for me is a challenge full stop, let alone finding clothes that, uh, allow me to feel fashionable or anything like that. So I, while I don't have to deal with finding bikini tops, I do relate to having to find clothing that meets a specific need that also serves a specific purpose. Oh, totally. Shopping can be such a nightmare. And trying so so many things on and not finding anything that you love, like it's really disheartening. So that's kind of what that story was about for sure. What I wanted to – the other article that I was talking about was um, I, the, my memories of it were that you, uh, you had your hair styled and, and I think you were like – it was a 1950s look or something Oh, like yeah. That. that was an amazing story. Yeah, that was – we tried pin-up style. 
Yes, that was yeah. it. Yeah, but that was a lot of fun. Um, that was something where I've always loved pin-up style. I've always been really mm-hmm. drawn to that era. And I think I mentioned in the video that was produced about it, I kind of had put on a lot of weight and I used to dress more in that style. But when I put on weight, I felt like I didn't want to show off my body at all. And mm-hmm. doing that definitely made me feel like, you know, I should just love the body that I have right now and dress it how I want to dress it and feel good about myself no matter what. Like I don't need to lose that weight in order to feel good about myself. I can love myself as I am. Mm. So that was a really nice experience. Yeah. Well, excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> Cause you guys all looked amazing. Uh, yeah. I loved I it so much. The end result was a lot of effort to get there, but only because it's like, Makeup looks to be so time consuming. <laughs> it is. It definitely is, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I'm such a guy. Jenna, in, in your time uh, that you've had so far at BuzzFeed Oz, what do you see as the biggest challenge uh, for both you and for BuzzFeed as an organisation in the Australian media landscape? Hmm. I think the the biggest challenge for us I suppose is that we've we've kind of worked really hard to establish ourselves in the media landscape and mm-hmm. to reach our audience and I feel like we definitely have done that and uh we've got a, f- a firm base of readers who check in with us regularly um and then from there we want to be expanding and exploring new areas and talking to different identities and different demographics so I think that's the the kind of big challenge for us moving forward for sure. And what about you? What have you found to be a challenge? What have I found to be a challenge? I'm not sure. I kind of love it all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I really thrive on it, which is a good thing for me, I guess. But I think, Mm. I guess the most challenging thing has been, um, but in a really fun way, has been trying to, explore what the Australian identity is and mm. and really nail that down because I feel like I mean before I started working at BuzzFeed I don't think I gave that much thought at all to what it means to be Australian and what the Australian identity is but so much of our content is centered around exactly that like what Australians love what Australians hate mm. what they feel strongly about all of those kind of things so exploring those aspects and uh, being experimental and just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing what picks up has been really exciting. But, you know, obviously there's also stuff that doesn't pick up at all, but that's fine. That's all part of the learning process. Sure. And and this would be helping uh, you guys as, as an organisation, an Australian organisation, refine and define uh, what you guys think your, your core readership is looks like exactly yeah i mean obviously buzzfeed is an american company but Mm. we were the second international branch after the uk and so i started with uh two colleagues brad and simon and Mm. we were basically just told to make like make it our own and see what we could do with it and see what australian readers wanted to to look at so it's been it's been a really fun journey it, look, it's a hell of a thing. I mean, here we are, 2016. Uh, BuzzFeed as as a media company, we, 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 I think, seriously need to call them that. Oh, um, for sure. That's what we are. Just, you know, it's not an internet website, if you know what I mean. It's not just that. No, totally. Um, uh, have, have 
had significant influence and impact on the landscape just in general reporting and day-to-stage stuff and, of course, many listicles, <laughs> um, but also have two people I- installed as a part of uh, the the media gallery in Canberra now travelling around as a part of the media pack for this election. I mean, that's that didn't happen in 2013. No. So... Yeah, we started with three people in 2013 and to see where we are now, it's pretty amazing and it's pretty exciting. I love all the stuff that Alice, our press gallery reporter, has been doing and Mark, our political editor, mm. they've been doing brilliant work and we have a much bigger Those news guys. team now. Yeah, it's it's really awesome to see and they're definitely making an impact and I'm really proud of that. For those people who are maybe new to humans at Twitter, sorry to jump in and out of this conversation. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I have uh, conversations with both Alice, uh, Alice Workman, and Mark DiStefano uh, already in the history of the, the the series. So if you jump online and check it out, have a listen, you'll get a, a, a good indication of who those people are, I think. Uh, and a, they sort of both talk a bit about work, but it's a very um, an interesting take on politics and BuzzFeed and that relationship, which is an interesting one that seems to be growing a lot, Jenna. Yeah, we were very excited about the election and tackling it. And I work on the Buzz team, obviously, which is not the straight news team, but mm. um, we're definitely very excited to to do things in a BuzzFeedy way around what's going on in politics. Mm. So watch out. <laughs> Enough about them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about you. Okay. <laughs> what would you say is your superpower? My superpower do you mean the superpower that I want or the superpower that I would have? Yes. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen a comic online. I can't remember who created it, but it was just like mm-hmm. a simple drawing and it said, anxiety girl able to leap to conclusions in a single bound. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's me basically. I identify with that a lot. And, is that something that you've refined over time or something that has naturally come to you as an, as an ability? Oh, I was born with it for sure. <laughs> there wasn't any great sort of kryptonite. You drank poison spider water or something. <laughs> I was, I was born naturally with the superpower to overanalyze and overstress about everything. How does, uh, how do you keep that in check in your day-to-day relationships? Um, I have a really great husband who kind of listens very quietly to all of my stress and rambling and, you know, yeah, he's very good. Um, and I also focus on work a lot. You know, it, it's Mm -hmm. really hard to worry about everything in my life when I'm trying to get out a post or I'm editing or that kind of thing. Like it really helps to just focus on work and Sure. Also, like I'm a big reader, so I just – and I watch a lot of TV, kind of throw myself into other worlds and get pleasure out of that and distract myself from whatever is stressing me out. What are your favourite distractions at the moment? At the moment, obviously I'm addicted to Netflix, but I'm kind of in full obsessed mode with Game of Thrones it's basically my life at the moment. I'm watching the new season as well as re-watching old seasons at the same time. Oh, that hurts <laughs> my head. I can barely keep track of what's happening in this yeah, season. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It's I'm, I'm usually – I have to watch things in order. So I was mm. – even that in itself was a little bit daunting. But 
uh, my husband really wanted to do it. So we're doing it and it's really interesting. It's kind of heartbreaking to watch the first season and see everyone alive and happy. Yeah. It's very, it's very sad, but that's a lot of fun. And I just, I spend a lot of time reading. I really love uh, YA fiction and Aussie YA in particular. So that's my main distractions. Excellent. I am also a Game of Thrones fan. I've only experienced it as a television show. I haven't read any of the books, uh, but did very much coming into the start of season six need to lean fairly heavily on um, the showca- uh, well, showcase in Australia. HBO released a everything you need to know catching you up half an hour, hour and a half, nearly two hour episode of previously on Game of Thrones stuff where they filled you in on all of the things that happened and had some of the... Uh, um, uh, cast in their normal lives sort of recounting, oh yes, and this happened to poor such and such and this thing and that, that, that. And I just went, man, there's so much that's going on in this universe and there is so much to come. It, yeah, there really is. And it's so fruitful. I think it's really exciting to be a part of the fandom and there's so many theories coming out every day. And it's really interesting because say uh, series like Harry Potter or those kind of things where they're yeah. over now and people still theorize about them, but it's very interesting to be a part of it and watch it develop and see these theories either come to fruition or be totally cancelled. Yeah, it's really fun. Were you also into Harry Potter in its time? Uh, I I really liked Harry Potter, but I'm not as massive a fan as some people. One of my colleagues, Jemima, she's a massive Harry Potter th- fan and I thought I, yes. I thought I was a Harry Potter fan until I met her so <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can call myself a true fan I like it though yeah sure so are you interested in seeing this new Harry Potter film that's coming out definitely it looks really good yeah the trailer looks amazing yeah and I I love I just love any kind of fantasy stuff for sure yeah and we're in a it's such so strange isn't it because if we look back uh, through popular culture, the last even ten years, let alone twenty to thirty, fantasy has never been as big as it is today. That's true. I think nerddom has a lot to answer for. Yeah, I mean, it's the time of the nerds. We we're ruling the world. We will rise yeah. up. <laughs> we will roll our twenty-sided die, and we will send far off place. Where do you find your peace, Jenna? Uh, I think I've already touched on it with talking to my husband and probably reading is the main thing that calms me down and makes me happy. I think even just walking into a bookstore, it makes me really happy. Walking into a library, I feel really peaceful. The smell of books, just touching books, looking at books, anything to do with books basically. Books. Yeah. (laughs) Books are good. I like books. Yeah. Do you have a huge collection of books at home? I do. I have a bookshelf in nearly every room of my apartment and they're all overflowing. So <laughs> I have a bit of a problem. <laughs> How, it's like I said before, it's 2016. Are you finding you still must, you know, tactile, have that experience of a book in your hand or are ebooks okay? I don't mind ebooks. I think I always prefer to have a physical book in my hand, but... I generally, I read a few books at a time and I generally have like a physical book, an ebook, and an audio book that I'm kind of switching between. So I'm not, I'm not a medium snob for sure. <laughs> wow, you are totally down with the nonlinear experience then. Gosh. 
But it's really funny. I'm I'm very anti uh, doing things out of order, but mm-hmm. I think having the different formats is what is how I'm able to compartmentalize. Okay, so that helps you with the gear change between story A, B, and C. Yes, I like I couldn't read two physical books at the same time, which sounds really weird. Although I probably could if one was fiction and one was nonfiction. Like yeah. I can I can separate it in that way. I hear that my kids um, are, are avid readers, and, and particularly at bedtime, they're allowed to read for a bit before the lights go out. And I know both my son and my daughter have multiple books on the go, and I just look at them and go, "How how does that work, guys?" <laughs> Like, how do you keep up with what's happening in Narnia and what's happening in this other thing and what's happening for this other thing? Yeah. I don't, I don't comprehend I it. used to only be able to read one book at a time and I was very obsessive about it. And then I think I got to a point where I just don't have enough time to get through all the books I want to get through. So I kind of became a bit of a, a bigamist with books, I guess. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> where is the line between public and private for you, given that you work in an industry particularly where it's so easy to have so much of yourself invested in what you offer publicly? Yeah, that's an interesting question because a lot of what I do for BuzzFeed and what we do at BuzzFeed is identity content and kind of posts that are based on our own experiences. It's not always, and most of the time it's not from a personal point of view, but it is tied in with something that you have personally experienced and connected with it, it it just makes for stronger content because you can speak to very specific things within that identity. So my job does require me to draw on my own personal experience, but I think I'm very careful with it and only put out there what I feel comfortable putting out. Uh, There's probably been a few times where I've been really nervous about something, but then I might get an email from a reader who was really affected by what I wrote and that kind of makes it worth it. At the same time, like a lot a lot of our writers in the US in particular kind of do a lot of personal essays and that kind of thing about really really sensitive subjects and I don't think I am at that stage where I would be feel comfortable putting a lot out there. It's still kind of once removed um, yep. by putting it in a general kind of format. And then I guess with Twitter like I just I put a lot out there, but most of it is just really dumb thoughts and just really silly observations or whatever I'm watching on TV or reading at the time. And so it's more about my passions and my interests than maybe some stuff that I like to keep private. Sure. What one thing would you change about your life today? <laughs> um, one thing I would change about my life today would be... I wish I was a morning person. I'm not at all. And I feel like I would love to be able to just get up in the morning and get shit done and get on with the day. <laughs> you find it difficult getting out of bed oh, or... So hard. <laughs> Particularly as we come into winter, it just gets harder Yeah, too. it really does. I can I relate to that. Are you then, uh, conversely, someone that's a night owl or you just dig a specific part of the day more? I'm a massive night owl. I, I stay way too late. And I know I probably could go to bed earlier and I'd be more of a morning person, I suppose. But <laughs> I was going to say, at the risk of becoming your parent. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, my mum's my also a night owl, so she gets it, but she also tells me to go to bed. So I just, I think I'm 
I get to the end of the day and I don't want the day to be over. There's more that I want to do mm. during the day. Um, and yeah. that makes me go to bed later. But I would love to be able to get up and actually do some of that stuff in the morning. There's always stuff to get done, isn't there? Always. There's always more. I find it a challenge myself. Yeah. like I hear that. I mean, I love the internet and I love spending time on the internet, but it's just the flow of content and tweets and everything is just impossible to keep up with and sometimes it's really overwhelming. <laughs> I wish I could read yes. it all. <laughs> yes. What is the most exciting or dangerous thing you've ever done? I'm not big on danger, to be honest. <laughs> I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. So mm-hmm. I avoid putting myself in situations where I will be in danger. I'm not like I don't feel yes. I don't feel the need to jump out of a plane to feel alive. Like I'm pretty pretty good right on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I guess I mean I love traveling, so that's exciting for me to just go go on overseas trips and that kind of thing. Mm. Um yeah, I think I mean I what immediately comes to mind but it's kind of lame is like I interviewed like Chris Hemsworth a couple of months ago and I'm a big fan of him so that was exciting <laughs> it was kind of like a highlight in the last year but no, that wasn't dangerous that was just fun well that falls into the exciting category very well definitely <laughs> what is your favorite place to travel to um my favorite place to travel to would be I love the UK. I've only been there once when I was in my early 20s and I'm actually going back again this year and I'm really excited about that. But I really love England, um, especially my grandparents. Actually, my mum was born there and I grew up with stories about it and talk about going over one day. So that was a really nice experience for me. When I was 21, I went over there for a few weeks and that was really lovely. But I also love... New York and I love Disneyland is like my place. I've been there yes. twice and I would go there all the time. I wish there was one in Australia. So I just really, I love traveling. What is it about Disneyland that makes it your happy place? Well, it is the happiest place on earth. Well, allegedly, that's trade. <laughs> no, sure. it's true. It's, it's just, it's just a magical experience and it reminds you of being a kid again. And it's all the characters that you grew up watching kind of come to life and, Obviously, they've put a lot of time and energy into making it a really magical place. All the details are amazing. All the different lands, the rides are fun. The food's amazing. It's just perfect. I've I've never been. I would love to go. So I, I will lean on that. It is a fairly hyper-real experience, though, isn't it? Everything is pristine as far as the look of the grounds and, and it's super clean and all of the stuff, isn't it? Yeah, they put a lot into the whole experience. Like even the staff in the retail stores are in character and tie in with whatever land they're in. It's really amazing. Get your Disney bucks here. What makes you smile, Jenna? Weird stuff on the internet <laughs> a lot of the time. Funny tweets <laughs> and funny videos. Uh, yeah, that. I guess that's what I spend most of my time smiling about and laughing about. Really cute animals. I love puppies. Anything to do with puppies makes me happy. Do you have a puppy? I don't. We can't have one in our apartment, but my parents have two dogs. And so when I go home to visit them, I spend a lot of time with the dogs. 
I can understand that. What do you make of the rise in pet cafes, cat cafes, that kind of thing, around giving people that opportunity who, like yourself, live in an apartment and can't own a, a, a pet like that, but it gives them an opportunity to, for an hour, interact with many, many puppies? I think it's great. Yeah, I'm all for it. I personally can't really do it because... I just start crying because I just want to own them all. I just want to take them home. Like it's a very emotional experience. Yeah. We've we've had puppies come into the office a couple of times for different reasons, and I end up crying every single time because <laughs> I just fall in love with yeah. them and I just want to take them home. It's actually like a very big hole in my life is the lack of puppies. <laughs> you strike me as the kind of person who wants to save the world. Oh, definitely. I think I. I, I guess I have a lot of empathy and, you know, sometimes I have to switch off from the internet and turn everything off because it can be really distressing. In your job, sometimes that wouldn't allow for it, though, I'd imagine. No, not, yeah, for sure. I think, I guess for me, I don't work in the news department, so I'm a, I'm a little bit removed from that in terms of on a personal level. I'm not dealing with having to write about a lot of that stuff. Sure. I have a couple of times, but on the whole, you know, I kind of write more pop culture content and uh, it's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't care about those other issues, but it's more like that's, I find it really enjoyable to write about that content and also just like, it is really nice distraction and something to celebrate and something to have fun with. It's a, a professional distance that you're allowed to have, isn't it? Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, obviously I, I read everything that the news team does and I follow everything that's going on, but uh, sometimes at the end of the day you've just got to switch off and watch a stupid TV show. Can I ask what that stupid TV show is? I like TV. I love TV. Oh, I could talk about TV all day. I actually just watched a couple of times um, Scrodal Recall on Netflix. Yes. I'm obsessed with that show at the moment. There's only like six episodes, so I've already watched it twice through. But it was a really lovely, heartwarming British comedy and the name is so ridiculous and I think we'll probably put a lot of people off, but I actually adored it. Yes, power through it. It is much more than just a funny part. Totally. It's The name really does it a disservice. It's a really lovely show and like there are only like, what, 20-minute episodes and there's six of them. Like you can get through it in two hours. Yeah. It's, it's easy. Highly recommend. Yes, not not that it covers cooking in the way that the catering show does, but it's that kind of jump in, jump out, easy episodic kind of uh, comedy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a. I guess it's a non-linear romantic comedy. It's it's kind of like How I Met Your Mother in that way, but also I think much better than How I Met Your Mother and much more British, obviously. But the characters are really lovely. I love the main three characters and their mm. interactions and the development of those relationships. How I Met Your Mother makes me so angry, but this isn't my podcast in that it's not about me. <laughs> what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, I'm about to turn 30, which is kind of terrifying. So I'm hoping to just really kick off my 30s with a bang and enjoy it and kind of yep. let go of all of my hang-ups about not being in my 20s anymore and mm-hmm. – the kind of deadlines I set for myself, I feel like probably a lot of people do it, but I kind of set a lot of deadlines or I had a lot of ideas about what I would achieve by the time I was 30 and haven't achieved some of those things. So I guess my goal is to 
move forward and still work on what I want to work on and still achieve what I want to achieve without that age hanging over my head. I, I Have you placed a lot of pressure? I had, had you in the past placed a lot of pressure on yourself about I need to achieve X or Y by the time I'm 30? I don't know that it was that conscious, but just when you're young, I think everyone does it. You just have an idea in your head of mm. what you would do by in, in general. And then when you get to that age, you're like, actually, like there's other stuff going on in my life. And that's not as important at the, at the moment, even though I arbitrarily set this idea in my head when I was younger. So that's, I think that's just part of the process of growing up is you realize that all the, all your plans don't necessarily work out, but sometimes even better things can happen. Yes, indeed. Jenna, thank you so much for everything that you've shared today. Please know that what you've said is very special and you're highly valued. Thank you oh, so thank much. Thank you. I hope it was okay. <laughs> oh, totally okay. Very, very cool. Obviously, you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to alert us to? Um, I mean, Twitter is where I kind of ramble a lot and stream of consciousness, dump everything out there. Um, but I am on Facebook if people want to just follow my work more, I suppose. I feel really naff, like, promoting myself. That feels really weird, but... Don't. It's totally reasonable. <laughs> but, yeah. So, Facebook? Yeah, I have a Facebook page if people want to like it. <laughs> that sounds so lame. Or don't. Or don't. Yeah, or don't, don't like it. It's fine. <laughs> That's right. We challenge you to not like it, which will not make it any more popular than it already is. Uh, look, I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. This isn't meant to give you another compliment. I apologise. I'm not really a big self promotion kind of person, so you know, it's weird. <laughs> this has been humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Jenna Guillaume is indeed human. I am. Thank you. <laughs>